0: Well, hello everyone. This is Diane Wilson. I'm a peak performance coach in Chicago. And today I'm so excited to have a very special guest, Dr. Mark Shapiro. And what's more special about this for me is that Mark is a person who's had a podcast for five years now that really reaches and touches a lot of people and informs them. And as I watched and listened and I wondered, it's it's like I gathered this list of questions that I wanted to ask him. Like, we need to ask you questions too. So today is November the 23rd. It's the week of Thanksgiving. The uh, coronavirus has peaked or hopefully and, and is increasing. And so this is just a perfect opportunity for us to talk touch bases and, and to see how you are, where you're at, you know, as a, a medical leader, I think you're a leader among your peers and, um, and in your field. I'm just very excited to talk with you today.
1: Thank you so much for that kind introduction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's Thanksgiving week. It's a very strange week, and it's a good time to have these sort of in-depth discussions around all that's swirling around us. Mm-hmm.
0: Excellent. So, so tell me, and the audience, just new. What, what do you do day to day? What's your life like?
1: Sure. So uh, I live in Northern California and in terms of my professional work, I am a hospitalist. So I did my internal medicine residency and I'm board certified in internal medicine and I've worked as a hospitalist since I finished residency in 06. And what a hospitalist is or hospital medicine, it's a fairly new creation in the world of medicine in the United States and actually around the world where people who are board certified and usually internal medicine and oftentimes family practice as well function as uh, specialists caring for hospitalized adults. So that's all that I do is I take care of people in the hospital, I don't have an outside practice. And this started in the late 90s, It, it grew explosively. It's the fastest growing field actually in the history of American medicine. So really every specialty now has hospitalists, pediatricians, OBGYN, surgeons, most specialties now are creating Platforms where their doctors are in the hospital more um, on sort of a dedicated basis and then in the office on a dedicated basis. So, professionally, I've been doing that since 2006. Um, I do have a leadership portfolio that's sort of grown over the years. I was the chair of medicine of a hospital in San Diego where I worked after my residency and. I was the medical director for the hospital medicine program where I work now. And I do work with my medical group that I'm a part of as well. I'm on the board of the medical group that I'm a part of, um, which is really exciting. I'm in my hometown now. So being able to provide care for the town that I grew up in is very, very meaningful. Uh, in terms of other things that I do, you know. The, you mentioned the podcast. So I've been doing Explore the Space for about five years. I started that really on my own. Um, I had some really, I was an early adopter to podcasts. I love them. Um, I love the audio platform. I love the storytelling. And I kind of realized that it would be not too difficult to start one and just sort of see what happens and give it a try. And I've been very fortunate. It's grown beautifully. Um, we've really created this incredible community now of guests and conversations and this sort of sprawling network of people and ideas. It's just incredibly special. And so yeah, five years in, just just getting started, just picking up steam.
0: What's it like to be you now? What's it like, wow. you know, this week, this, yeah. this moment? How are you? And what's it like to be you?
1: Wow, I appreciate you asking that. That's a really good question. What's it like to be me? Um, Yeah, it's a mix. It's a, it's a mosaic, I guess. And you know, in some ways, I'm excited and inspired and motivated you know i'm getting to talk with you this morning i have another interview today i'm gonna get an episode up hopefully tomorrow you know i've got some cool projects that are cooking so those sorts of things are exciting and fun and inspiring um i go back on hospital service tomorrow so that's always a little bit daunting even though i'm you know i've been a hospitalist since 06 that first day back always brings some butterflies and some jitters um So kind of spending time in that space, which is, you know, I'm used to it, but it's always part of the adventure. Uh, And then obviously, you know, just sitting with what's happening around the country. I'm an engaged physician in terms of social advocacy and the political scene and things like that. That's something that I've spent a fair amount of time on. And so just watching and absorbing all that's happening with our country is very challenging, uh, just like for anybody else. And then, you know, Thanksgiving week is usually a week where I'm ready to celebrate and have fun, whether I'm working or not. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I love it. (laughs) You know, it's it's the best. And so, you know, like many others, we've decided to not gather for Thanksgiving. We're going to just be together as a nuclear family. And that's sad, but it's also just feels like it's part of that shared sacrifice that we hope lots of lots and lots and hopefully the majority of Americans can make and kind of carrying a little bit of trepidation and unease around what is actually happening because it looks like there's a lot of traveling going on amidst a pandemic where the numbers of positive rates are soaring across the country so yeah it's 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 a mix you know kind of hour by hour i feel a little bit more excited or a little bit daunted or a little bit nervous just kind of rolling along with the human experience Mm -hmm. i live in my hometown my family is nearby and we had planned to have a big dinner where we would all get together because we've been kind of bubbled and um you know, we had a, we, we check in, like, you know, we do, we'll do a call or a meeting as a family and just kind of like be transparent about, Hey, what's everybody doing? Who are you working with? What am I doing at work? You know, are you guys doing this or that? What are the, what are everyone's kids doing? And the last time we did it, we just said, look, let's be frank. Do we feel comfortable doing this? Do we want to do it? Will it be fun? Um, and we just decided, you know what, let's not, it's not the right thing to do. It doesn't send the right message it's not what we should be doing. It's one day of the year, we will gather again someday. And this will just be part of our shared memory. The the year that we didn't gather for Thanksgiving, it's not the end of the world. Doesn't mean we can't celebrate doesn't mean we can't do a zoom call doesn't mean we don't still love each other. And doesn't mean Thanksgiving isn't meaningful, but it was the right thing for us to do.
0: So for listeners who are planning their Thanksgiving, then then just that's your message. Is that your message? Um, you know
1: it's a tough one I, it, but that is you know there's we've really tried to i think bang the drum of it's important to not gather but it's important to that's a hard ask you know lots of people haven't seen their families for a long time i think lots of people were banking on the holidays as a chance to see family that they haven't seen in 2019 or sorry in 2020 and it's it's a it's a hard ask and i don't say this trivially but you know as a as a nation we aspire to be bold things. We aspire to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's in the Declaration of Independence. To do that, to allow that for all Americans, there is that sense of shared engagement. There's that sense of, of shared purpose, but there can also be that sense of shared sacrifice. And we are a nation with a long history of that. And our nation's history is not perfect. It's got some tremendous highs and some horrendous lows, but one of the things that we stand for is the is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so, to allow the most Americans as possible to pursue those things, to to seek those ideals, this is a time where a small sacrifice is needed. Gathering for Thanksgiving this year is something that is not recommended indoors and in large numbers. We will be okay as a country. Thanksgiving will be there for us next year. And again, it doesn't mean we don't love our family. It doesn't mean we don't miss our friends, but. There are times where you have to shoulder a little bit of a burden and, and in order to execute on those ideals and also just to maintain, you know, minimum specifications of safety and well-being, this is one of those asks.
0: That really makes sense. And so when I um, imagine you then in Northern California, and I have family and friends there, so I keep a pretty close eye on what's happening there. It's it's like, what's it like? I remember you posting one line. It's like, my house is taking a beating and now it's like, oh, you know, because I knew what was happening with the wildfires. Um, So how is your house okay? Are you, you know, how, what's, what's it like physically around where you are?
1: You know, it's, it's been a a very strange year. Uh, It's also been a year that we've grown used to in Northern California. We've had four years in a row now of of really extraordinarily difficult and challenging wildfire seasons. This year was really no exception. Uh, Thankfully, my house and my neighborhood have remained unspared. Sorry, have remained undamaged through these four years. Uh, It's gotten close a couple of times. We've had to evacuate at least once um, each of the, no, in 2017, I don't think we had to evacuate. uh, But in 16, we did. And then uh 1819 and this year we had to evacuate. So yeah, you know, when the fires actually get into Santa Rosa, that's really disconcerting. This year was hard because we had another fire that erupted right around the same time as the anniversary of the Tubbs fire, which was extraordinarily destructive several years ago and got into Metro Santa Rosa. And so we were dealing with that. And, you know, I have a lot of friends and colleagues that I'm seeing at the hospital that day and people who had lost their homes in the Tubbs fire were evacuated again and really worried about their homes. And it was a very traumatic experience. People were really, really unsettled. Um, But, you know, this is a very tough community. People love Sonoma County. We love living here. We love the region. It's one of the great places in the world to live. And we're obviously fiercely proud of it as well. So, you know, no one wants to leave. Everyone just kind of hangs in there. Uh, We were very, very fortunate this year that in this region, people have done a really good job of following the public health recommendations around coronavirus. And so our numbers and percentages of people who are positive for coronavirus has remained at a fairly steady state because if we'd been surging during the wildfire when everyone was evacuating, that would have been extraordinarily dangerous. So we were very, very lucky in that way.
0: Wow, that's excellent. Oh my goodness. I know we have some friends in um, Saint Helena who were oh my gosh, yeah, to a parking lot. You know they're in their eighties. Yeah, was in the, of the night and it was um, just you know, oh my gosh.
1: Saint Helena was really the epicenter of this of this last one too. That's a scary place to have been.
0: So I'm glad things are okay there.
1: Yep, we got some rain last week, so hopefully we're yes. done for this year.
0: Oh my gosh. So what, what do you see as the greatest challenge for physicians right now and in, in healthcare in general?
1: I mean, it's, it's weathering the pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, every part of the country is different, but obviously no part of the country, no part of the world is spared in the United States. What we're dealing with right now, you know, and I'm, t- we're talking like day by day, hour by hour is just seeing the numbers of people who are positive across the United States surge Uh, almost with a vertical line and seeing the number of people who are being hospitalized across the United States surge, the number of people who are requiring ICU level of care surge, and the number of people who are unfortunately dying as a result of infection with COVID-19 surge. It's it's really, really scary for a lot of reasons. The thing for me, and I think that a lot of physicians, nurses, and healthcare professionals are carrying right now, is the realization that all of the things that we had asked for and had in some varying levels received over the course of the last six months um the the support that's required the support that's required to execute on those things physical distancing mask wearing staying at home if you know if possible people around the united states aren't getting the support that they need to execute on those things there's so much misinformation about those things that people aren't following those guidelines there aren't enough healthcare professionals in the United States to manage what's happening right now. And, you know, just even in the last couple of days, we're seeing front page headlines in major American cities of no beds left, you know, no, not enough staffing left, morgue trucks being called in, national guards being called in, we're experiencing these MASH casualty events simultaneously from coast to coast, it's daunting. Um, again, I'm very, very fortunate that in this region, it's nowhere close to that. But I mean, mm-hmm. we're a small community, you know, healthcare professionals in the United States, we're all one or two degrees of separation from each other, especially now with the rise of social media, mm-hmm. we all worry about one another. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, 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 it's hard work, it's draining work, it's emotional work. And so that's, that's the weight that I carry right now. For me, it's more of a psychological weight. I've taken care of lots of COVID patients. I'll do more. It's nothing like what my colleagues around the world around the country are experiencing. And I, and I feel for them. Uh, It's, it's really, really hard. And we're just, we're going to have to press through it.
0: Oh my gosh. It's until you hear someone like you say it, it it is very abstract. Yeah. and, And unless you've had COVID and even then, no one has the perspective that you do. No one I talk with. So that's quite valuable. When you go to work, when you're at work as a hospitalist, like how do you, how do you dress? How do you protect yeah. yourself?
1: <laughs> so it used to be what you see right now, right? Collared shirt, slacks, dress shoes yes. for mm-hmm. 15 years. That's how that was the uniform. Put my white coat on and go for it. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm ever going to wear a collared shirt and slacks in the hospital again. It's scrubs, you know, I'm just back in scrubs. It's like when I was a resident, put mm-hmm. your scrubs on in the morning drop the old ones off in the hospital laundry, get a fresh pair, go to work. Um, you know, and then when we get home, I think we've all kind of established similar a similar routine with our own personal variations. But you know, you doff you your gear, you take your all your scrubs and gear off in the garage, leave it there, don't touch it into the house. And then into the house, straight into the shower, no touch the family, no touch anything. My son <laughs> comes over, wants a hug. He's used to it now, but he knows, don't give daddy a hug until daddy's had a shower. Oh, uh <laughs> so we're oh. all pretty dialed in on that now
0: oh my gosh that's amazing how old is your son
1: he's four and a half oh yeah so he, it's you know he... i've shared this on social media my son's four and a half he has been evacuated four times uh he oh knows God. all about evacuate and power cut and smoke and bad air uh, it's it, it, it's been a strange four years for him. We're fortunate that I'm not sure how much of this he's going to remember, but we're in that phase now or four and a half. He's going to start remembering things, but yeah, it's, it's, a uh, he's, he's had a, he's had an interesting first four and a half years.
0: Oh my gosh. That's incredible. So, so in the hospital, then do you, you wear a gown and, um, uh, a shield?
1: Yeah. And- so at, at our facility right now, we have a, de- we have dedicated COVID units, just like other, other hospitals around the United States. So if you're working in the COVID unit, when you're seeing those patients, right, it's scrubs, um, you know, you take your wedding ring off, leave your wallet and keys behind, and then Mm -hmm. it's your single use gown. And then you have a choice of, in terms of your respiratory protection, if you want to use an N95 with a face Mm -hmm. shield, or if you want to use the, the capper, which is the helmet and the mask with the plastic underneath and positive air that's blowing out. So that's nice. Um, and people have their own preferences of which one they like. And it also depends on what you have in your hospital. If you have the, the, the big mm-hmm. capper device, um, because they're, you know, that's a big piece of tech and they require maintenance. Not every hospital has those we're fortunate mm-hmm. that we do. So when we're seeing COVID patients, that's the gear. Um, when we're not seeing COVID patients, when we're just rounding in the hospital, you know, it's, it's whatever you choose to wear. Not everyone's wearing scrubs. Um, mm-hmm. I, I choose to wear scrubs and then uh, surgical mask face shield. Mm-hmm.
0: I see I see.
1: Because we have everyone tested. So we know that they're COVID positive or negative. Um, some people wear an N95 when they're doing that, but we don't have enough for everyone to be wearing N95s all day, every day. And mm-hmm. so it's surgical masks. And that's surgical mm-hmm. masks, are, uh, right? The recommendations do sort of move around, but as long as there's something over your face, but surgical mask is my preference.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. So how can, how can listeners help people in terms of the protective equipment? Is there is the, do you need things? And are there things that listeners can do to help
1: people? Yeah, thank film? you very much for asking that. I think there's a couple things people can do. Number one, most importantly, and again, right, it's the, the analogy is when you hit the same key on a piano, people start to not like hearing that note anymore. But mm-hmm. we're going to keep banging it. The best thing you can do or follow the public health recommendations from your local authorities and from the CDC and from Doctors like me who are on podcasts and on social media screaming, wear your mask when you're out, maintain physical distancing, do not gather in indoor environments. That is what allows us to keep people safe. People don't get sick. They don't require hospitalization. We don't have to use as much of the PPE that we already have. So that is the first thing, right? Everything else is Mm -hmm. secondary. But if people do have the the resources and would like to donate, a great place to do that is getusppe.com. And PPE stands for personal protective equipment, but get us was started by a group of physicians and medical students in the, in, in Chicago, actually, mm-hmm. a lot of them you probably know from from social media, they've got a great website they've got national distribution. Um, the other thing to do is just call your hospital and if you if you want to donate they they probably have something available, um, but those are the two biggest things for sure that you know if you would like to do donations that's a great way to do it but the most important thing to do right everything else is is like 10x less impactful than wearing a mask physical distancing hand washing and not gathering in indoor environments Mm yes
0: excellent excellent I think people like me, I feel pretty helpless at points and, and just knowing those entry points, those things that you can do to make a difference that really, it helps us. Okay. Um, Mental health and healthcare. I'm asking you all the hard questions, right? (laughs) I mean, how do, how do people cope with this? What do you do? What, what sustains you?
1: You know, I can answer for myself. Obviously I can't answer for everybody because everyone's approach is different. And I think before I answer, we have to also acknowledge that we're just wading out into these waters, we're going to be stuck in really heavy seas for a few months. Um, there's definitely help on the way between the, the really, really exciting initial vaccine data that we're getting and obviously a new administration with a new approach to how to manage the pandemic coming in later part of January But until then, it's going to be really, really difficult. And that's one of the things that I think myself and everyone else worries about is what's going to happen to our friends and our colleagues, what's going to happen to our profession, what are we going to look like on the other side of all of this, but in the day to day, you know, it's the it's the basics, it's good nutrition and hydration, it's trying to exercise if that's something that you enjoy, or whatever activities you find sustaining and meaningful trying to carve out a little bit of time for them you know, trying to minimize your exposure to social media, that's not something that I'm good at. I'm on social media, probably too much. Mm-hmm. Um, not probably I'm on social media too much. Um, <laughs> but you know, everyone just trying to find their rhythm, but also just giving yourself a lot of space to just feel the way you feel. You know, we we're in a profession of so many high achievers, where when you look around, you see people taking care of COVID patients and then doing TV and then writing articles, and then running and then this and that. And you're just like, I that's one of the places I think social media can be a little bit challenging where you get that sense of uh, you know just seeing what others are doing and then comparing yourself to them. And that's obviously a really tough spot because you'll never win. And so mm-hmm. just finding the rhythm that works for you, that feels good, that's, that's healthy in a way that's meaningful for you, right? Everyone has their own skills and their own limitations and all of those things are okay. So for each person to just accept where they are and give themselves a lot of room and a lot of latitude. If you're having a day where you feel great, That's awesome. If you're having a day where you feel down or low or sad, that is okay too. And just handle it in the best way that you know how.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And then if it gets to a point where you are struggling and you need help, you need to ask for help. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. So do you think it's easy for physicians to ask for help? No. (laughs) Tell me more about that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's an unequivocal no. We are not good at it. We're not trained in it. We don't know what resources are available and we're afraid of stigma. So it's, it's a, it's a really nasty little four pack that awaits physicians on the other side of feeling like they're going to ask for help. Uh, and so we, that's one of the things that I think everybody worries about is that we're going to come out of this thing, just tattered and battered and bruised. And then also not knowing how to ask for help, right? We're in this culture where we just suck it up and keep going. And that is really toxic in parallel. And we also have, uh, uh, a lack of necessary resources for people to access, not just in medicine, but across the United States, for people who are having uh, issues around mental health to access and get access to. So, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a it's a difficult little it's a difficult little cocktail to swallow there. And um, again, that's one of the places where we just have to support each other the best that we can, acknowledging the deficiencies because it's going to be hard.
0: I'm noticing on social media more people stepping out and physicians and saying, you know, I suffer from depression. I suffer from, and just the reception on that is really, it's quite powerful to see yeah. peer support. is really, it is, but
1: it's different when you're having to do it in front of the, a medical board or your medical group or your in-person peers, right? These are all very, very challenging dynamics or your boss or your residency director or whatever the case may be. So, you know, that's one of the challenges with social media is it becomes one of the nice things about it is it can be very affirming. And I agree. I mean, I see the same things that you do and, and I find them very affirming. And I think it's wonderful and I think it's progress. And we also have to remember it's it's a really intense little silo. And the the real world outside of that is very, very different with respect to mental health for those who practice medicine in the United States. And there's a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So this would be a, a pretty hard question. Um, there's a lot of work to be done on that. What's, what can be done? What can most people do on it? Like how can people proceed uh, given that it's hard? Like what would you suggest for people who need mental health right now, who are in the crossfires?
1: First of all, I'm not a mental health professional, so I'm, I'm not in a place where I, wanna, I want people to think that I am able to, via a podcast or social media, make a diagnosis mm-hmm. of, a, of, of a mental health issue. But I think mm-hmm. it's just for organizations to make very forward-facing. I think the ask is not on the individual, it's on the organization. Because when we don't expect these things of our organization, we're risk-shifting to the individual, and that's where the problem starts. So I think it's organizations really making a commitment to what resources they have making them forward-facing and available here are the phone numbers here are the here's the office here are the contact people reassuring that it is confidential that this will not be part of your professional record or anything like that and making sure that it's free healthcare organizations are multi-billion dollar enterprises if they want to do these things they can and so mm-hmm. I think that as we ask these questions of what can we do, we can, hold these, or we can hold our organizations accountable. That's what we can do. It's not about Mark Shapiro acknowledging and then having to seek out the help. It's organizations that I work for reaching out to me and saying, are you okay? How are things going? Can we do a little inventory with you and make sure you know? Do a little little uh, wellness check with you and make sure you're okay. And when I say wellness check, I'm not saying sending me a 30-minute module that's required. It's you know someone calling and just checking in and then making sure that there's resources available to me if something that I say raises a red flag. And I'm using myself as the example, but this should be done across the United States. It's not on the individual. We need to be much more sophisticated around this. Organizations have the resources available if they so choose. And the ones that prioritize this are going to have a much more sustained, much healthier workforce. They're going to find that they're having a much easier time recruiting because we all talk to each other. And if we are sharing with one another, you know, the place that I work for has been really great and really supportive. And even Mm -hmm. though it's been really hard, I have felt like I've been well taken care of. Everyone's going to want to come work there. And if someone else is saying, God, I felt like I was just thrown to the wolves and there was nothing there for me and it was brutal. Mm -hmm. Who's going to want to join that place? So Mm -hmm. we, 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 I think really need to expect more from the places that we work for and expect them to support us. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. Yes. I know I saw your post uh, within the last week or so around, you know, you're hard on us commenting to someone or some organization and we talk (laughs) and when you try to recruit one of us, we will remember this. Absolutely. I
1: mean, we see what's happening around the country. We see which states have had and right. So we we've we've seen that there is a, a vacuum in federal leadership around the COVID pandemic. So it's been left to individual states to come up with a patchwork response. And so obviously we see which states have been successful at some level and which states have struggled. And it's a tragedy. But we also then see how do they deal with the shortcomings, right? California has had its own problems, but we see other states where not only are there problems, but then there is backlash and risk shifting and blaming and mockery and denial and misinformation coming from the positions of leadership.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: these are things that that are, that are that resonate. They're sticky, and so yeah, I mean, we we just like anything else, right? We we can we can and should hold those who can affect change accountable. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. Yes. Makes a lot of sense. So this is a great conversation. I, just to get back to social media, I'm taking a five day media break. I, in, in talking about the pros and cons of it, it's I think it's really easy to, at least for me, <laughs> to get very I love social media and I love the people I'm connected to. Absolutely.
1: And so social I'm, media loves to hear you say that. Because oh we all God. feel the same way and it's not great because then we're just <laughs> there all the time.
0: Yes. And so trying to find the the balance of that and um and and thinking at least for a moment that like this isn't good to be on social media this much. I don't know. I mean, having stepped back, it's, it's like, what do, okay, maybe I'll spend a little less time and I want to be more thoughtful and deliberate in my communications, but I missed my supporting my friends. It's, it's, I worry about them.
1: Yeah. That's the part of it that is, that is difficult because I agree with you, especially now when we're all isolated and we're not traveling to conferences and seeing our friends and traveling around and these sorts of things like yeah that's that's our touch point in a lot of ways and so you do kind of want that check in with people i agree with you
0: yeah it's like how's dr Tabatabai doing <laughs> you know checking <laughs> totally. in like is, is he okay in texas there? <laughs> yeah and totally just totally you know, it's yeah so i i think and, and also yesterday i read a, a study or a study that looked at teens and depression And they thought maybe teens that were on social media more would be more depressed, but actually this study found that they weren't, that they felt less isolated and, and, and connect and more connected. So I think that gives us some hope, you know, in terms of finding some parameters around connecting on social media that, you know, this is a real powerful tool and how do we how do we use this?
1: I don't know the answer to that. Um, I know that the social media networks that are out there are not motivated by our well-being. They are motivated by profit. Um, mm-hmm. And right, that's that's their model. And that's where that's the way most businesses in the United States are run. They are a for-profit enterprise. So my wellness is not their priority. My wallet is their priority. And so we always keep that in mind as we wade out into these waters, because we're also all just learning, right? These things are also so new, um, yes. but they're not motivated by our well-being.
0: Mm Hmm. Yes. Yes, and that's good to keep in mind. I think maybe that's the adaptive tool is that know what you want from it and know what this um, platform is structured for, and how to use that to your needs. But well, okay. Um, Not to diminish anything that we've talked about because it's all super important, but on the on the other side, like what are you seeing that's positive in this in this heap of trouble? You know, in this very very difficult time, what's what's surprising you or or you know just in reflection, what is positive? What are you seeing in terms of growth or are there any silver linings or any positive aspects of what you're seeing?
1: You know, I'm I'm incredibly heartened by the response of the profession of medicine in the United States. Uh, facing myriad challenges. These are the, some of the smartest, most highly motivated and best trained professionals in America, whether they're doctors or nurses or respiratory therapists or phlebotomists or whatever role they're playing in the care of, you know, Americans that need healthcare, just seeing their response on a daily basis. It's, I don't, you couldn't, I don't have the words and it's rare that I don't have the words. Um, it's, it's impressive. It's just, it's so impressive. Um, mm-hmm. I hope that they can sustain it. I hope that we can sustain it. I hope that we come out the other end okay. But in November of 2020, what American healthcare professionals are doing will, will live through history.
0: Yes. Yes. It's amazing. So any last thoughts or wishes or things come to mind sure it been- I'll say
1: it one more time wear your masks wash your hands <laughs> get your flu shot don't gather in indoor environments and be strong for each other man we, we all seek life liberty in the pursuit of happiness but we can't do it alone it needs all Americans to contribute to that effort and so yeah that's I think that's the right place to start it's the right place to to wrap up if you have yeah. the opportunity to say you know what I miss you I love you and I'm not going to gather with you You are helping other Americans. You are being a patriot. You are doing the right thing. You are living up to the highest ideals of what it is to be an American. You are looking out for your friends and your neighbors and your colleagues and for people that you don't know. And there's honor in that. And I think that that is something that we can all aspire to and we can all take hold of. We can all do better at. And as we do that, that's when we will find ourselves coming out the other end of this, hopefully physically, mentally, and emotionally more intact than otherwise.
0: Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, your feelings, your experiences as a physician, a leader in this very special time, extraordinary moments here. So thank you again.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this podcast from Genius, sciencing our human potential. Be sure to visit our website at geniuspodcast for clips and episodes from our previous series. It was called Voices in the Pandemic and featured amazing guests sharing their expertise, human stories, vulnerabilities, triumphs, and a lot of good advice. Please share and subscribe to our podcast and give us your comments about what you're liking, any suggestions you have on who I could be interviewing as we move along here. And also if you're interested in being a sponsor of the program, A quick thanks to the team of people who make this the podcast that it is. And it's something I'm very proud of. Dan Schiffmacher, who's our editor and production manager, who makes everything better. Cameron Wyant, my assistant, who's a master organizer and helps develop content. And then to this handful of people who have been invaluable in different ways in us getting started, Gary Wilson on editing, moral support and concepts and others, Captain Ferran, Sherry Frey, Lisa Files, and Toby Doerr. Thank you team. <laughs> Our vision is to bring conversations to you that help you feel more connected, to embrace your fears and become more informed about what's going on, to cultivate and share your own genius, to be present and still look forward with inspiration. If you experience any or all of those things, please share them with others. Right now, our world needs positivity and it needs for us to connect with others. Thank you for listening again today. Please come back and be well.